Welcome to Tammy Sparacino Journal Club Casino Podcast, hosted by Tammy Sparacino. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to PerfWeb76, the Tammy Sparacino Journal Club. I'm here with the wonderful Tammy Sparacino, who's done everything she can today to make my day the happiest day in my life. <laughs> Uh, I want y'all to know that. Okay, so I've just got two quick announcements. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through opening remarks, which we have historically done. I want to try to keep everything limited for the sake of time. We're trying to do faster, you know, more, more, I guess, pithy informational programs that don't last all day, but are just short segments, an hour long, you know, multiple days out of the week. And welcome to everybody that's watching. Uh, you want to reach out to us, perfusioneducation.com. So contact at perfusioneducation.com. That's how to reach out to us. You can also call in. I don't know if, uh, if David could throw the call a number up or not. I didn't tell him I was going to do that in the beginning. So sometimes that's, that's, that's challenging to do. But we do have a call-in number. David can put it up. You are absolutely welcome to call in and be live on the show. It's great to have additional voices. If you want to give a presentation, if you want to do a case report, um, I've got some neat stuff I want to show, but today's not the day. I'll probably do it tomorrow. Uh, we've got our simulation tomorrow, which I'm going to be very excited about. Mike Brown is going to be here, mm -hmm. and we're going to show how to integrate a CRRT machine into the uh, the uh, perfusions into the ECMO circuit mm -hmm. and go over all of those pressures and how everything interacts with each other and why things happen the way they do. I find it very fascinating because I enjoy flow and pressure relationships. And of course, that's what we as perfusionists are expert in, right? Correct. That's what we really understand. Um, so uh, uh, probably better than probably better than most surgeons really do. They understand it in normal physiology. We understand it in abnormal physiology because Correct. the perfusion circuit is a very. I always consider the pressures to be hostile. Yes. Because they're so high. Right. They're so high, so low, right. and they have, they have such a wide range. They really do, and 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 they really interact on each other. You know, most of our human physiology has no negative pressure mm -hmm. in it, but we have negative pressures. We have positive pressures at varying degrees, and significant degrees all over the place. Okay, so I also want to show you that um, our perfusion, our critical care and perfusion app, we have done an update on it. And uh, you see it on the screen there, it's the one on the left. We have two apps. You have the perfusion, uh, the critical care and perfusion app, which is the one on the left. And you have the IV MedCalc, which is great for critical care nurses. Um, both of these were designed, it took a very long time to do, validated by a, uh, a, a PhD, pharmacist uh, or pharmacology uh, PhD rather um, everything has been done on this to make it so that you can really rely on it um, and uh, and find it to be a very dependable app but we did an update in the past in the critical care perfusion app when you go to clinical calculators and you scroll down you see this uh, allowable blood loss it's under it's down in the uh, other tab third one down when you click it, we used to have this set for 21%. That's what it was. It was a constant. But now what we did with the app, and you, if you already have the app, this update is automatic, right? 
So adult male will just say they're 100 kilos. Uh, their initial hematocrit is 38. But what you now can do is tell it what is your lowest desired crit. Mm. So if you want that lower desired crit to be 26, and I'm just using random numbers, um, you hit calculate and it will tell you that you can lose 2,368 milliliters of blood and replace it with non-heme fluke, crystalloid, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. and you will have a uh, predicted hematocrit of 26. So that's the latest update. We have another update coming, uh, which is going to be a, uh, a, uh, an ECMO selection algorithm. Do you use VA or do you use VV? And that's coming, I think, in another month. It's coming in another month. Yeah, the newest in the beginning of March will be yet another update. So we're going to start updating this app on a routine, regular basis. So if you have any ideas of something you would like to see in the app, please let me know. I know somebody did, and I got to find that email. If you're watching, send me the, an email again because yeah, you had a really good suggestion, mm -hmm. and I'm going to have to try to find that. Uh, so we're. And how much is the app? Uh, the app is only uh, $2.99 for the Critical Care Perfusion app, which has multiple things. Thanks for asking. Um, and it so, includes the IV, the smaller yes, version. It's right there. Yep. You see it in the bottom left corner. So for $2.99, you get everything. Everything. And mm -hmm. for $0.99, cents, you get just the IV uh, uh, rate calculator. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's it. But thank you for asking. It's only $2.99. I need to sell a million of them for my retirement. And I think we're... Magic, how, how many have we sold? Magic, how many have we sold? How many of those apps have we sold? So we have about 999,000 uh, left to go. Okay, very good. Okay, so without further ado, Tammy Sparacino will kick us off with the uh, Journal Club on Brain Magnetic Resonance Imaging mm -hmm. in Adult Survivors of Extracorporeal Membrane Oxygenation, or ECMO. Tammy, floor is yours. Yes. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us. And uh, sorry, we changed the schedule kind of last minute. So if you were expecting Joe to do CRRT, um, we had a last minute schedule change and that's because you're going on vacation i am you're going up but where are you going i'm going to disney world and you're going to do run a half marathon and a few other races very good yeah so tammy is a is an avid athlete for those of you that don't know and <laughs> that uh, might be a little much <laughs> no i think it's real and uh she's uh, very dedicated to her physical fitness and uh it helps to keep her sane mm -hmm. working for hgt <laughs> I was just going to say with stress <laughs> management in life, but you, you can call it whatever you want. Okay, okay so let's get into it. Um, this uh, article that we're going to be looking at today was published in um, the Journal of Perfusion, which has been one of my favorite resources lately, um, published in 2021. And uh, it, the primary author uh, is Bradley Ashley Ong and we will get into the abstract. Okay, so there's gonna be a lot of things here that might sound um, unfamiliar. I know I had to look up quite a few things and we're at the end of this article, we're still not gonna understand everything, but I think we will get into it enough where um, we will be able to glean uh, uh, some very interesting things. So uh, 
Despite the common occurrence of neurologic complications in patients with ECMO membrane oxygenate or extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, data on magnetic resonance imaging (MRI) as we all like to call it, um, finding in adult ECMO is limited. Are limited. We aimed to describe the MRI findings of patients after ECMO cannulation. Records of patients who underwent ECMO from September 2017 to June 2019 were reviewed. MRI studies performed using multi-planar consisting of T1, T2 weighted, fluid attenuated inversion recovery, which is called FLARE, diffusion-weighted imaging, DWI, and uh, susceptibility-weighted images, SWI. Of the 78 adult patients who underwent ECMO, 26 survived. Of those 26, eight of those patients, which was about 31%, had MRI studies with a median age of 47. The median ECMO support time was eight days and the median time from decannulation to MRI was 12. Five of the eight patients had ischemic uh, infarcts, four had cerebral microhemorrhage, and two had intracranial hemorrhage. One had a thoracic cord ischemic infarct. There were no patients with a normal MRI. All patients underwent transcranial Doppler, abbreviated TCD, Four of the eight showed presence of microemboli with TCD. Three of the four had ischemic infarcts, and one of the four had presence of multiple cerebral microhemorrhages on MRI. All ischemic infarcts had diffuse pattern of punctate to small lesions for ECMO survivors. And if you don't know what that word means, because I didn't, means small dot-like features. So they're like very small. Like punctuation. Right, exactly, like punctuation. Um, of the MRI studies, cerebrovascular-related lesions were the most frequent, with punctate ischemic infarct being the most common type that may be associated with TCD microemboli. The results of the study suggest that subclinical cerebral lesions are commonly found in patients with ECMO support. Further research is needed to understand long-term effects of these cerebral lesions. All right, so just for a little bit of background reference, we are going to talk about some of the scales that they use to really um, score and analyze these patients. Um, first, we'll get into one that I think we're all pretty familiar with, at least hearing about. It's the Glasgow Coma Score uh, Scale, also abbreviated GCS. It's a neurological scale to assess consciousness state. The higher score equals a less brain injury. So if you'll look at, there's three basic categories. The eye-opening response and the verbal response and the motor response. Maximum score is 15 points, and you can see the three categories are minor brain injury would be 13 to 15, moderate brain injury would be 9 to 12, severe brain injury would be 3 to 8. And um, you can uh, look over this uh, 
look over over this summary chart, uh, but you'll see that for eye-opening, it's just are you able to open your eyes spontaneously to verbal commands, um, or you can't open your eyes at all. Verbal response, are you oriented? Are you confused? Do you have inappropriate responses? Do you not have any verbal response? Motor response, you obey commands for movement, um, you respond to only pain, or you know, so on and so forth, all the way down to no motor response. Okay, the next scale that is referenced is Acute Physiology and Chronic Health Evaluation 2. It's abbreviated Apache 2. Um, there are even uh, more updated uh, Apaches, I think up to four now, but in this study, this is the one that they um, used. So it's an ICU scoring system that estimates mortality. Lab values, acute and chronic health conditions are considered and scored. Uh, this uh, Apache 2 score is determined within the first 24 hour of admission. Your score can be from 0 to 71. The score is interpre interpreted as an approximate mortality percent. A higher score equals a higher approximate mor mortality prediction. So you can see they break it into um, two categories. So zero to four points, in other words, so your lowest score, that would be the, the least predicted mortality. If you're non-operating, um, 4%, if you're, um, and then post-op, 1%. And it goes on through where you get up to about 30 to 34 points. Your approximate predicted um, mortality is 73% both non-operative and post-operative. Next one we'll get into is another one I know that we're familiar with, sepsis-related organ failure assessment called SOFA score. Um, it actually was uh, originally developed with sepsis patients uh, to have a look at their mortality predictions, but it because it applied to patients that were not septic, it was renamed the Sequential Organ Failure Assessment. It's an ICU scoring system. It assesses performance of six organ systems. It includes respiratory, cardiovascular, renal, hepatic, central nervous, and coagulation. Scores are from 0 to 24, and the higher score equals a more abnormal organ dysfunction. Last one, and this one was new to me. I was not familiar with this one. It's called the Modified um, uh, Rankin Scale, uh, abbreviated MRS. It's a rating scale for post-stroke patients. It measures functional independence compared to pre-stroke activities, and the score is from 0 to 5, or if the uh, ranking score uh, wants to include expired patients, it will go to 6. A higher score equals more severe impairment. And we'll just look at this um, summary table briefly. So if you have a score of zero, then you have no symptoms at all. Your functional independence activities are the same as they were pre-stroke. One being um, no significant disability, despite you have symptoms, you're able to carry out normal duties. Two, you have a slight disability. You can't do all your previous activities, but you can look after yourself um, without uh, any assistance. Three would be a moderate disability. 
you're unable to walk without assistance or unable to attend to one's own body needs without assistance. Five, severe disability. You're bedridden, you're incontinent, you're requiring constant nursing care and attention. And if you want to go to all the way to six, then you are, um, have expired and are dead. Okay, so why was this paper published? The significance for the study. It was the first to describe MRI findings in adult patients after ECMO. What are they looking at? What problems are we trying to solve? Want to review the neurologic injuries in post-ECMO patients. How did they do it? What are the methods and procedures? What's its study design? So let's just get into patient population. The data was reviewed pro, uh, prospectively, collected observational data from Johns Hopkins Hospital ECMO patients from September 2017 through June 2019. The inclusion criteria was adult patients, so age 18 years old or greater, received MRI after decannulation. Their exclusion criteria, patient did not receive an MRI after decannulation before discharge, patient died at the time of decannulation, or the patient expired before an MRI was completed after decannulation. Patient assessment and outcome. So they looked at um, neurological assessment. There was a baseline neurologic exams, um, and those are some of the ones that we went over, the Glasgow Coma Scale, the Apache 2, and SOFA. There were follow-up neurologic exams. They did serial transcranial Doppler, cerebral blood flow velocities, measured to determine intracranial circulation, then a post-ECMO MRI. Neurologic outcome was ranked by the modified Rankin scale at hospital discharge. For data collection, MRI scans were performed with a 1.5T GE scanner, um, multi-planar multi sequences T1 and T2 weighted, fluid attenuated inversion um, recovery, abbreviated FLARE, diffusion weighted imaging DWI, susceptibility weighted imaging SWI, contrast studies, magnetic reson uh, resonance angiography MRA if indicated, and a whole spine MRI if indicated. For their data reporting, ischemic MRI lesions, they looked at focal, which means single region of, of one hemisphere, diffuse, meaning two regions or um, that means two or more regions in one or both hemispheres, intracranial hemorrhaging, hemorrhages, um, subarachnoid, uh, subdural, and intracerebral, patterns of cerebral microhemorrhage, which are abbreviated CMH. There were lobar, and you'll see that they looked at frontal, uh, um, uh, parietal, uh, temporal, uh, uh, occipital, um, insular uh, cortices, deep, looks at brainstem, cerebellum, basal ganglia, thalamus, in, uh, internal capsule, external capsule, corpus, callosum, deep periventricular white matter, and then mixed, which would be some of both. Okay, getting into the results. 
These are the patient characteristics. So we briefly went over this in the abstract, but there were 78 adult ECMO patients during that time period at Johns Hopkins. 52%, 52 patients, or 67%, died either at decannulation or before an MRI could be performed. That's a lot. Yes. 26 survivors at decannulation. Of those 26, 11 patients, 42%, were transferred to acute rehab. 15 patients, or 58%, discharged to home. Eight of those patients, 10%, went to um, underwent MRIs. Six were female, two were male. Median age, 47. Median ECMO duration, eight days. Median decannulation to MRI, 12 days. Four patients, or 50%, were there for cardiac indications. Three patients, 38% respiratory indications. One patient was a eCPR. Um, six patients were VA ECMO, five of which were peripherally cannulated. Two patients were VV ECMO, one peripherally cannulated. I understand the one that was centrally cannulated, because that's a little bit interesting for VV, was post-lung transplant. Uh-huh. So that makes sense for that. Okay, here is a summary of pretty much everything that I told you. This was table one from the article, baseline demographic and characteristics of ECMO patients. You can see that um, past medical history are typical things. We'll see, uh, we tend to see diabetes, hyperlipidemia, hypertension, COPD, um, hypothyroidism. There were two patients that had a history of cancer and two patients with congestive heart failure. All right, now let's get into a few um, of these specific patients. 47-year-old male presented with hypertension, cardiogenic shock, VA ECMO secondary to cardiac lymphoma, TCD studies showed showers of emboli, clots were noted in the oxygenator. Despite all of that, he had an intact mental status with uh, a GCS, uh, Glasgow uh, Coma Scale, a score rather, 15, which is normal, right? Yes, Completely that's the, that's, that's uh, the highest you can get. So mm -hmm. it's considered uh, thir 15 to 13 is uh, considered minor brain injury, if any. Um, okay, he had weakened lower extremities while on ECMO. He was weaned day 9, MRI day 16 post ECMO. The findings were ischemic infarcts. And now we're going to have a look at some images. Okay, so this is from the article, figure one. You can see that there are three different images here, and I'll just read the, uh, the descriptions. I'm in no way uh, able to really interpret these. But the A, show, and there's some arrows there that were included in the article. Um, the MRI T2 flare demonstrates punctate focus of dis, uh, diffusion restriction involving the right corona radiate. B shows the MRI T2 flare sequencing showing punctate focus in the subcortical matter of both hemisphere. C shows an MRI T1 axial revealing diffuse thickening and abnormal enhancement of the cauda equina and clumping of nerve roots. And then it just reminds you what flare is and what MRI is. Okay. Next patient, 52-year-old woman presented with asthma, breast cancer, 
diabetic, had a non-STEMI, pulseless um, electrical activity arrest, complete heart block, required VA ECMO, TCD did not reveal any emboli, patient only responded to pain, uh, Glasgow scale, uh, Glasgow coma sc uh, score eight. Weaned from ECMO at four days, MRI for possible paraplegia and encephalopathy, encephalopathy, help me out with encephalopathy. that? Encephalopathy. I don't know why I'm struggling this morning. And the findings were cerebral microhemorrhages. Here's her images. A shows DWI sequence showing increased signals scattered mostly on watershed areas. B, AD, ADC demonstrating several of the lesions with true water restriction. C, SWI shows too many to count tiny millimeter and submillimeter lesions throughout the brain. So remember, TCD showed nothing. Only got the MRI because she was only responding to pain. Mm. Next patient, 47-year-old woman presented with hypothyroidism, hyperlipidemia, ARDS, VV ECMO secondary to H1N1 infection. TCD studies showed no significant abnormalities. Clots were noted in the oxygenator. Surgical site bleeding during ECMO. Mental status, GCS 10. So that would be um, moderate, um, moderate brain injury. Weaned at day nine, MRI day one post ECMO findings intracranial hemorrhage. Here's her images. A and B are both MRI SWI showing SAH in the right anterior frontal lobe together with multiple CMHs. So she has microhemorrhaging. T, uh, C is a T2 flare sequence revealing focal area of cortical thickening in the anterior right frontal lobe. And uh, just a, a reminder that SAH is subarachnoid hemorrhage. Next patient, 40-year-old woman, hypertension, diabetic, dyslipidemia, ARDS, VV ECMO secondary to viral pneumonia, TCD studies showed showers of emboli, intact mental status, GCS 11, Weaned day seven, MRI for bilateral paraplegia, findings a spinal infarct. Mm. Here's these images. <clears throat> A and B are both MRI, T2 flare of the brain, showing hyper-intense focus with associated reduced diffusivity. Diffusivity. Dis diffusivity. Thank you. Diffusivity mm -hmm. along the sub- Portal white matter of anterior aspects of the left cingulate gyrus within the corona radi radiata with right matter of the left and largest rostral lateral to the head of the right caudate nucleus. That's a lot to say. I wouldn't have said it all. <laughs> um, MR, here's what's really interesting is this is the first time we've seen a spinal 
MRI because it was indicated. Remember, mm -hmm. they only do those if they're indicated. But since she wasn't able to move, they decided to do one, and this is what they found. MRI T2 of the spinal cord revealing abnormal, abnormal <laughs> I'm just really struggling this morning, abnormally high T2 weighted signal within the central aspects of the spinal cord from T5 to T10 level. Mm. Okay, so finding summary. That's <clears throat> interesting stuff. Yeah. So here's uh, everything I basically told you before, but sum summarized so we can kind of go over it. So out of those eight patients, ischemic infarcts, five of them. They were all diffuse, meaning they were in more than one region and um, could be in one or both hemispheres. Intracranial hemorrhage, two. Cerebral microhemorrhage, four. MRA um, was done on five of them. Stenosis of the left uh, vertebral artery, one. Four had no significant findings. Three had spinal MRI manifestations. In other words, they weren't able to move for something. One had an actual spinal infarct, and um, one had a thoracic cord edema, and one had a cord enhancement. So here's the key points. <clears throat> Their discussion was very lengthy, but I tried to pull out the thought, things I thought that were most interesting. ECMO is associated with adverse neurological and neuropsychological outcomes. Data on recognized complications remain unclear. From this cohort, most common finding ischemic infarcts consistent with previous studies. Likely from hemodynamic instability, hypoxemia, and changes in cerebral blood flow affecting autoregulatory mechanisms. High rate of unrecognized systemic thromboembolic events play a key role. Delineating between ECMO and underlying disease as a cause for these events is difficult. Change in hemostasis, in hemostasis likely significant factor in ECMO-associated intracerebral hemorrhage. The author's conclusions, despite major technological and therapeutic advancements in the use of ECMO, neurological injuries remain to, uh, to be high. In this cohort, cerebrovascular lesions were the most frequent with punctate ischemic infarct as the most common seen on MRI, followed by cerebral microhemorrhages. The occurrence of these findings after ECMO highlights the importance of characterizing the nature of neurological injuries and the potential for significant morbidity and mortality. The results of our studies suggest that subclinical cerebral lesions are, lesions are commonly found in ECMO, patients with ECMO support. Further research is needed to understand the long-term effects of these cerebral lesions, such as cognit uh, cognitive impairment. That's mm -hmm. it. Very good. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. And I did read the yeah, article. Yeah. Um, Even if you read it several times, there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was uh, between 2017 and 2019, so we agree it's pre-COVID. Yes. Um, and we had lots of issues occur. You want to open the, uh, is everything okay? No, you want to, oh good, phone lines are open, great. Thank you. Uh, if anybody wants to call in, please do so now. That'd be a good time to do it. Um, 
So pre-COVID. So pre-COVID. And we certainly saw, I think, you know, a lot of people talked about this increased um, uh, coagulation, hypercoagulable states in the COVID patients. And I'm somewhat struck by the number of- But not of, just for ECMO. They were seeing DVTs. Yes, they were seeing, yes. Yes, not just for ECMO, correct. Right. But I was struck by the number of patients in this study that had clots seen in the oxygenator. Mm-hmm. And, well, that uh, were noted at least. Two of them were specifically noted that there were. Yes. yes. But to me, given the, the, the volume of patients, that's pretty high. Um, yeah, because there were only eight, right? Right. Yeah. And so I find that interesting that you have that much you know, that high a percentage is 20%, right? Mm-hmm. Of those patients had clots seen in the oxygenator. And of course, knowing oxygenators the way I do, I don't know which oxygenator we're using, but mm. seeing clot in the oxygenator is not easy to do. Right. And so, so when that you, means there was a lot of clot. Yes, when you can see it. The mm-hmm. other thing, and I, they, they, they admitted it in their... Yeah, their limitations. Um, their they, limitations. They were very lengthy in explaining the limitations of this study. Right. We, notwithstanding TCD didn't reflect anything, is I, I don't think definitive necessarily on being able to say the cause of this was the native disease process of the patient Mm -hmm. or this was caused by something else whether it be the ECMO or whatever right I mean we don't they don't know no Um, and I think it's also very interesting when you talk about uh, diffusion weighted MRI DWI um, that they did a study not terribly long ago where they looked at TAVR patients Mm -hmm. and 100 percent of TAVR patients have le- new lesions mm-hmm. at post TAVR uh, when you use when when you examine DWI. Mm-hmm. So of course, then the argument became: well, SAVRs or surgical AVRs would have the same thing. We just simply don't examine it. Right. And that's probably true. So true. the patients who are on cardiopulmonary bypass, you know, I. I I don't think any procedure, and I'm not advocating off pump, mind you, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm just, just, just in isolation because I think there's so many things that are involved with this that uh, it can become somewhat, it can become very, very uh, uh, complicated and convoluted. But there is no way anyone will ever convince me that any extracorporeal circulatory device, whether it be full cardiopulmonary bypass, whether it be ECMO, whether it be VAD, it doesn't make any difference, is good for us. It's not good for you. It's no. The question is, is, are the risks of and the morbidities associated with whatever we're going to do less than the morbidities and mortalities associated and with not doing what needs to be done that you need that for? Right. That's really, you know, that's my view anyway. Well, I think that's valid with, you know, even the authors, uh, you know, make some statements about that. In particular, I'll read you just a little bit out of their discussion. 
It is not uncommon to find silent ischemic infarcts and microhemorrhages after routine invasive cerebrovascular and cardiovascular procedures. It's not uncommon. The presence of silent vascular brain lesions increased the risk of subsequent stroke by two to four times in the general population. Wait, it, say that again? Okay. So. I got the part about the not unusual to find it. Yeah, but not just find it find silent ones and other mm -hmm. ones you're done, not even aware occurred, mm -hmm. right? So the presence of silent vascular brain lesions increased the risk of subsequent stroke by two to four times uh -huh. in the general population, independent of cardiovascular risk factors. Mm -hmm. so, so, so having these subclinical silent infarcts increases your risk of a significant stroke in the future. Yes. So, yeah, that makes, I understand that. Well, but uh, what I wanted to get to also was these findings of the silent ischemic lesions have been associated with cognitive dysfunction in asymptomatic populations. Mm -hmm. So people have cognitive decline, but they don't have any other symptoms. And so you may not even realize it's happening. Moreover, the number of these lesions on MRI shows a positive association with the degree of cognitive impairment. In other words, cognitive decline is occurring maybe uh, in a patient that doesn't even realize anything's wrong, but then when they are finally looked at, you can see that these silent infarcts are the reason for their cognitive decline. And they're cumulative, I'm assuming. Right. And then listen to this last one. This is, I highlighted to make sure I... Uh, uh, discussed it. It has been found that the presence of silent brain infarcts doubles the risk of dementia, including Alzheimer's. Doubles mm -hmm. the risk. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yep. I'm assuming I'm having a lot of silent infarcts. <laughs> I'm assuming that. Probably a lot of people are assuming that. Yep. Mm hmm. Um, what else did you want to discuss about this? I mean, I found it fascinating. I am, uh, in no way even a novice at reading these images, but mm -hmm. I thought they were very interesting. Well, with the arrow pointing at them, you can clearly see a defect. You can see something is different, for and sure. I know that when we were doing a lot of ECMO, um, and uh, especially when I was uh, downtown, th there was, we did a lot, of, a lot of CTs. We did a lot of CTs up here. Um, and we found a lot of patients with, um, you know, cerebral infarcts and cerebral hemorrhages, but yet they appeared, seemed to be still very neurologically intact. I can think of uh, one patient in particular that after we saw some of their images, it was pretty remarkable that we were having a conversation with this person, you know? Yes. Yes. And, and they, they, they talked about a patient like that too, right? Mm -hmm. the, the patient had a score of 15, mm -hmm. but yet they had infarcts. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. I guess it depends on where the infarct is. Yeah, whether you are using that part of your brain or yeah. you're not using that part of your brain or you're examining that part of the, yeah. what would be used by mm -hmm. that part of the brain. I, it's very hard to say. But you also, I think another thing that I found very interesting was the TCD yep. conversation. So just so that I can understand, because I don't remember the article as well, maybe as you do, 
were they doing the TCD just on anyone that was on ECMO? So yep. there was 24-7 so, monitoring? Uh, not 24-7, but I'll tell you about that a little bit. Um, there was a lot of uh, things in here. I had to sort of narrow down all the specifics. But talking about the TCD, so first off, all the patients that were put on ECMO immediately get assigned a neurocritical care physician on day one. The team's notified, and then they're going to follow them through their course. Um, the, the uh, let's see, baseline neurologic exams include the Glasgow Coma Scale, the um, acute, uh, the Apache 2, the, uh, the SOFA, and all follow-up uh, neurological exams were routinely done. This includes serial TCD studies performed three times a day on day one, days three through five, and days seven through ten. Mm -hmm. Then they also did cerebral blood flow velocities uh, that were measured for uh, anterior and posterior uh, intracranial circulation. Mm -hmm. So the, the serial TCDs, I mean, if you were on ECMO mm. 10 days, you're having three on day one, three on day three, three on day four, three on day five, three on day seven, mm -hmm. three on, you know, and so on, all the way up to 10. Mm -hmm. So that's did a lot they, of data. Did they, on the ones where they... Um, uh, does it say in the article, I'm not sure, it, when they saw the clot in the oxygenator, were they seeing any shedding in the TCD on those patients? It did not go into that. It just was a simple case study. Clots were noted in the oxygenator. Hmm. Very interesting. It would, it, would be, it would be, for me, I would like to know whether yeah. or not they saw anything or not. You know, well, remember that these authors did not participate in these ECMOs, right? They, they looked at this. The data was collected prospectively, yes. but they looked at it retrospectively. Right, of course. Yeah, so I understand. They were stuck with whatever mm -hmm. someone collected at that time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what is your, yeah, I understand. So what's your view on TCD? I don't really have a view. I mean, I, honestly, this was a really educational article for mm -hmm. me because I haven't looked a lot into this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I... You mean as a technology, how accurate it is? What do you, what do you mean? What is my view? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, for example, um, since, since I was notified that this matter has settled, um, I, I can, I think, discuss it uh, reasonably without giving details. So, so this is something you were a consultant? Yeah, so okay. something I looked at, a case that I looked at, and uh, there was a, some kind of a micro crack in the centrifugal pump, and it was sucking air and pumping it through the arterial line into the arterial line filter and ultimately overwhelmed the arterial line filter and made this its way to air? the patient. Well, yeah, it was microair. But collected so much. Yes, it was just continuous. Yes. For okay. the, almost the duration of the case. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, the entire duration of the case, not almost. And uh, of course, it resulted in a poor patient outcome, as you, one would expect. Mm -hmm. But if they had been measuring TCD continuously during the pump run portion of the procedure, they would have recognized that as a as a signal, an air mm -hmm. signal. You would have seen it. They not have a bubble sensor? They they weren't using it. Okay. 
And a bubble detector certainly would have helped, but I don't want to get into the weeds of the case itself. I just no, wanna, yeah. I'm just trying to, to focus well, on it, the TCD. Well, it doesn't necessarily, even if they were using it, wouldn't necessarily me measure micro air. This is true, too. Right. That's true, too. That's a good argument. That's a fair argument. Um, but should. I mean, this was a lot of air. Yeah. Um, with that said, the, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that um, what good is TCD? The the event has already occurred right so and i'm like well that's true but if at least you know when an event occurred number one mm -hmm. and number two if every time you do a b happens and you don't want b to happen maybe you'll stop doing a or come up with a different technique for a to either mitigate or stop B from occurring, right? Like mm -hmm. putting the cross clamp on, picking the heart up, yeah. Um, you know, uh, blowing CO2. In fact, there's a really interesting case that was described by um, Dr. Lumsden and Dr. Ramshandani down at, uh, down at Methodist, Houston mm -hmm. Methodist. And it was an off-pump case and they were using the CO2 blower and blowing the coronary arteriotomy where they were trying to do the distal anastomosis and the TCD kept going off. And what they discovered was that the CO2 blower, the blower mister, was actually blowing CO2 up the coronary out of the coronary ostia in the aorta and making its way to the brain. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that, so that's very, I mean, that's fascinating stuff in my view. Mm -hmm. uh, but TCD, unfortunately, isn't, isn't an easily applied mm -hmm. technology. And you're taking up, you know, land space that anesthesia wants and you're in their way. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I know they're coming out with a newer device, which is a, you cradle the head on it and it aims it at the middle cerebral artery, the MCA okay. bilaterally, and you're able to leave it in place. But if you move the head or you then do it's anything, gonna, yeah. it's going to mess it up. Well, I'm degree. sure that's going to come along because look how much we progress we've made in the way that we're um, measuring uh, cerebral oximetry, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. In the beginning, um, I know just even in my career, you, you know, patient got sweaty, whatever the, the sensors you weren't able to do it. And now we're, we're m much further past that. And mm -hmm. you know, the, the technology that's out now gives you really good readings, you know? Yeah. Well on a broader, yes. I mean, I think those are very good points. And I think that on a broader scale, I think where I'm going with this is monitoring. Mm -hmm. Do we actually monitor enough do we monitor too much so much of what we do is inferred right yes. and uh, uh i'll give you some examples um uh, example one i'll use the elsimeter from transonic measures recirculation in your ecmo circuit well you can infer if you see your svo2 climbing right that you may have more may have more recirculation may it depends on extraction, mm -hmm. it depends on cardiac output, it depends on all other factors that are involved in it. And so it's not a direct measurement, but yet people will still use that. 
let's talk about continuous inline blood gas analysis. The patient is unstable. You have to send a blood gas. Mm -hmm. Now you have to wait for the blood gas. If you're in the critical care unit, you don't have a point of care mm -hmm. device. Um, and even if you do have a point of care device, are you using a device that you can depend on, that you can rely on? For example, with hemoglobin, when you use the iStat, you know, we thought we've revolutionized how we perform uh, cardiopulmonary bypass. It's it's Anything that doesn't have coaximetry is right. The hemoglobin right. is going to be um, going to be uh, uh, affected by hemodilution and temperature. Correct. And so there, but should we, you know, right. But we still don't have, we have a device to do that, but we don't use it. We use these preferentially. I, I just think that you can go down, whether it be the EPOC, um, same thing, right? It's using Absolutely. electrical impedance for well, the, the hemoglobin. The Gen Premier is the same thing. Well, I think they have coax now. Oh, okay. I do believe they do. Um, so I think that people are recognizing that you have to have, you can't keep trying to use these fancy algorithms when you can directly measure something. You need to directly mm -hmm. measure something for it to be, to be accurate. Um, especially in the case of, of heart surgery where you have so much changing with yes. temperature and hemodilution mm -hmm. it affects it. So I think that, you know, TCD for me, I think TCD is something that we should, um, be utilizing. That's your view. more. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. A lot more. And I would love to see that technology improve. Well, I think that, um, you know, it just takes somebody out there marketing that this is the new standard because mm -hmm. cerebral oximetry used to be something that anesthesia kind of had back there but they weren't necessarily voicing hey when you do that when you pick up that heart when you did this for the flow mm -hmm. what you know the 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 numbers are down mm -hmm. we're now outside of the acceptable range where mm -hmm. now i think that's communicated a lot more and hopefully um it's not just anesthesia looking at these numbers mm -hmm. right that Perfusion is looking at them. What happened when you put the cross clamp on? I'm, I'm doing off pump. Um, I'm lifting up the heart. What's happening then? How long is an acceptable time to have them in that, um, you know, crisis right. Uh, range? Right, right. Uh, so I, th I think that uh, that could, TCD could be something very useful, but someone, a company, uh, you know, a movement somewhere has to start with it because in the beginning, I remember asking for cerebral oximetry numbers, and anesthesia looked at me like, what would you need those for? Right. Right? Right. Why would you need that? Yeah, because that's my job, yeah. to perfuse the brain, yeah. the most sensitive but, organ that we have. Right. But <laughs> now it's, you know, the, now it's understood. Oh, yeah, that could be useful to you, too. Right? Yes. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. I think, yeah, I would like to see that. I would like to see TCD become more of a, uh, more of a standard um, I, I have a lot of fascination for it in, uh, in regards to what it is we do and how it affects either embolic events or flow uh, disruptions, you know, in the brain as we're doing our jobs. And, well, what uh, I it would is like we're doing, the good we're doing and the not so good, right? Correct. And I'll give, can I give you an example? Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. And I've wanted to do this forever, and I have not yet had the opportunity to do it. But it's it's been it's been uh, it's been on my mind for a long time. When 
they go, when the surgeon is putting the clamp on, some of them want you to come down on the flow. Yes. Okay. So which technique do you use? Do you turn your rheostat control down or do you clamp your line? Um, I have done both, but I'll, I'll clarify. When I clamp my line, I am not... Fully clamping it. No. But it's, you agree some people do. Yes. Right. They're, they're off. They're not... Because even some surgeons, even though they want flow down, they'll say pump off. Right. They're not actually, in most cases, asking for the pump flow to be off. Correct. I have always wondered what effect yeah. either turning the flow down in a smooth way mm -hmm. versus clamping the line and unclamping the line, what effect that has on, I'm, I know what effect it has on flow. But what effect does it have on embolic events? Does it trigger embolic events? Does it cavitate air? Either clamping air? it or, right. I, I, I've, I've wanted to do that for uh, well, forever. And I just I, need to find somebody to let me do it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I, I've thought about that too. Um, I mean, it seems like, just thinking about it, that a slow decrease in flow would be the safest. I agree. Sometimes, though, they're, they're wanting you to do it so quick that if you're not responding fast enough, they're just going to clamp anyway, right? True. It's more a, a matter of habit that they're saying it. They're not mm -hmm. waiting for you to do mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it really becomes our job to know the routine and be ready and available, which can be hard, right? We're running blood gases, mm -hmm. ACTs. We're doing a lot of other things mm -hmm. other than just monitoring the Agreed. flow. And really, the question now is, and I don't mean to keep going down these sidetracks, but do they really mean flow down or do they mean pressure down? Because they're going to be clamping the aorta. Right. And they just want it to be under low pressure. Right. So they're, again, inferring. What they really mean right. is they want the pressure low so they can clamp the aorta. Yes. You could have a pressure in the aorta of 30 and be flowing 5 liters a minute. Right. You could have a pressure in the aorta of of a hundred and be flowing one liter. Mm -hmm. It really depends on your vascular resistance and a bunch of other factors. Just flow is a very easy and quick way to, lower to manipulate yeah. pressure. Exactly. And that's why they say that. So mm -hmm. if your pressure is already 40, you probably don't have to go that far down. Right. And certainly don't have to clamp that line in order to get a pressure that is acceptable, acceptably low, mm -hmm. to apply that cross clamp. Right. You just don't want to do it under an extremely, while the aorta is really tight. Right, right. I mean, that's Same it. reason why you don't want to cannulate during that time. Yes, exactly. Right. You want the pressure, right, exactly. Right. right. You have more risk of tearing yeah. and mm -hmm. trauma, injury, et cetera. Exactly. Um, okay, very good. Well, we are, need to spin. Are we spinning the wheel today? We are, it's okay. the journal club. All right, well, let's do it. Does, right. Nobody had any questions, though. Oh. So I guess the gift goes to me. Is it, if, anybody, if anybody wants Last this minute. wheel spun for them, send a... Magic, do we have anything on FaceTime? Facebook. Or Twitter? Twitter. Mm, same thing. <laughs> anything? No? Okay. So, uh, well, I guess uh, we yeah, can't spin. We'll do it in five seconds. Five. If, it, if not, it goes to me. Five, four, three... Two, one, 
Spin it for Joe. Not spinning it for Joe, spinning it for fun. I hope you get extra call, though. I don't want an aortic dissection, because I'll just have to deal with that. Oh, ah! oh I made a it. Cup. You got a cup. I got a cup. All right, very good. All right, well, I love that new graphic. That is great. Journal Club Casino. That is fantastic. Let me see that again. I haven't seen it yet. I want to see that. Did you see that? I haven't seen it. Oh, wow. Look that at that. That is fantastic. Love it. David, I love that. Man, I'll tell you what, you went all out on that deal. <laughs> mm, oh, very my. good. Excellent. That's fantastic. Okay, so tomorrow. I'm going to be here with uh, Mike Brown. Two o'clock. We're two o'clock. We're going to hook up the CRRT machine, the Gambro Prisma Flex machine, to the CRR to the uh, ECMO circuit, and we're going to work on the pressures in the CRRT machine and how they interact and you're doing with the it ECMO. As a simulation. We're doing it as a simulation. That is correct. Great. It's not a lecture. It's not slides. It's an actual simulation with all of the devices. In fact, I'm going to get the device after this, where I think we're interviewing a couple of people. Just in case anybody's watching, you want to come to work for us out here in uh, the north side of Houston. Please give us a call, HET.us. You can go there, submit your CV. We have one that we just, we're going to be reviewing. We're also interviewing a couple of people today mm -hmm. um, after the program. If you have an interest in, of course, joining us for Perfusion, ECMO Specialist, um, or uh, for Auto Transfusion, go to our website, HET.us, and you can learn more about us as a clinical organization um, separate from our educational platform, which this is MediWeb, PerfWeb, uh, and, uh, and, and so forth, Perfusion Education. So I think that's it. I want you to enjoy your vacation. Thank We're you. ending right on time. Makes up for all the late times that we go go over enjoy your races mm -hmm. good luck Thank you. and i know you'll do great and uh, just travel safely i will everyone have a great day bye-bye